It's the Marketer's Report. This week, Patrizia Spagnoletto, Global Chief Marketing Officer, Direct Consumer for Warner Brothers Discovery, weighs in on the difficult task of building and retaining consumer trust. Trust is a really hard thing to build and a really easy thing to destroy. And we have to be very respectful about that. Our partnership with iHeart has really helped us build that trust and that relationship with the on-air talent. The best thing for us to do is to build a relationship with our consumers. And if those consumers have a relationship with the DJs that are on air, then we want to build on that. House of the Dragon, which was one of our most successful, if not the most successful campaign we've ever done for a show, audio was a core part of that. As the number one audio company, iHeartMedia gives you access to all. Every audience, live conversations, trusted influencers, and the insights and data you need to grow. Not just a media company, iHeartMedia is your access company. Go to iHeartResults.com for more. Welcome to Panther Puri, the podcast where we're supposed to talk Panthers hockey, but sometimes we don't. Here are your hosts, Alex Lopez, Jake Langsam, and TJ Peterson. Hello, and welcome to yet another edition of Panther Puri. I'm your host, TJ Peterson, joined as always by my co-host, Alex Lopez. And no Jake this time, but we do have a very special guest. Please welcome to the show for the first time, Mr. Colby Guy of Florida Hockey Now. Colby. Hey, how's it going, guys? Doing very well. We finally have a trade to discuss. All right, welcome back, everybody. We didn't expect to be recording this addendum to today's podcast, so uh, just make sure you listen to this before you listen to the rest of the stuff that might uh, seem outdated or weird. So we're here because, of course, the Panthers have traded for Ben Sherratt, the Montreal, formerly Montreal Canadian defenseman, giving up next year's first-round pick, a fourth-round pick this year, and Ty Smolanik in the process. So we've talked about pretty much throughout the season, how we thought that this was the booby prize of the trade market. And it seems that the Panthers are the ones that have uh, fallen upon it. And what, what's your reaction yeah. now that our worst fears have been realized, quote unquote? Uh, you're going to take care of the negative aspect of it. I'm not, that's not a shot at you. I know you're going to, I honestly might not than... like, I, I feel like we, we just need to refer to all the stuff that we've already said. Like, we're just going to re be repeating ourselves, you know? Yeah. I'm just going to go in full spin zone mm -hmm. and tell myself some of the smartest GMs in the NHL were kicking the tires on Ben Sherratt, Joe Sackick, uh, Carolina Waddell and, uh, and what's and uh, Tulski in Carolina. St. Louis, I wouldn't, I wouldn't call him one of the smartest GMs, but he's a good GM in St. Louis, Armstrong. They, these guys were all kicking the tires on Sherratt. So, great. Um, that's what I'm telling myself. Any way you slice it, this price is steep. Yeah. Really steep. Yep. You gave up a 2023 first-round pick. Well, look, we all expect the Panthers to still be very good next season so the odds that it's a high pick are very low it's not something to really be too concerned about but 
it's okay. You gave a lot. Ty Similiak, former second round pick from 2020. Uh, believe he's at Quinnipiac, and he's yep. had a really good start to his college career, like outplaying his draft status. Good start. That was one of those prospects that, you know, with some more development over the next year or so, would be some really solid ammo to use at next year's deadline to load up for a cup run. And you cashed him in now and added a 2023 first round pick for a guy nobody likes. So, fuck yeah i mean um let let me uh cut in sorry but uh smolanic i believe he was a third round pick i think you said he was a second if i'm wrong about either one well i 72nd overall so so yeah early third yeah so he had been having a solid career uh a college career but he had a major injury this year and Overall, his season hasn't particularly been impressive. He's got 22 points in 38 games as a 20-year-old college player. You know, so so that's not necessarily a bum. That's not necessarily a guy that you're not going to ever see play for your NHL organization. But at the same time, like, am I upset that Ty Smolinic got traded? Not necessarily. Like, you know, I I wish him the best. I, I hope that he does well in Montreal. You know, my issue with this really isn't about the price. Like, yeah, I'm upset that they traded the first round pick. I would have liked to have hold on, held on to that to use it next year's deadline. It's really more so that we're now going to have to see Ben Sherratt fit into this lineup and most likely in the top four. And I just ultimately think that's not going to work, you know, based on the track record that he's had in Montreal, even in the playoffs. And I've posted about it on, on Twitter. You can just look at that he really hasn't been that strong of a performer. Like there's really no track record using the things that we like to evaluate players of him being good. But then again, that's what we said about Sam Bennett. That's what we said about Brandon Montour. Sam Bennett has definitely proven us wrong. I don't know about Montour. I think it's been a little bit of highs, a little bit of lows, but that's for what you paid for Montour. I think it's, I think we were wrong. It worked out. Considering in, for you that gave trade, up a, yeah. Yeah. You gave up a third round pick and he signed at a reasonable ticket for the next two seasons after this one. I think you can call that a win. Sure, I think, sure. and I, you know, you know, is he was is was he a home run swing? No, but that was a solid single. Yeah, even maybe yeah, a double what you definitely. paid, what you paid, and then what the free agent market was for defensemen this off this past off season. I'm fine with how Montour played out. It's like it wasn't a home run swing. It wasn't you know bringing in Duclair or Verhage, but it was a good swing. The Bennett, we were very loud wrong, all yep. three of us. You know, that was a, what we thought was an extremely steep price. This was an even steeper price. You paid more for Sherratt with less in his favor than you got for Sam Bennett. Like I said, I'm hoping we're wrong again. I'm, but, you know, we're also hearing from people who have access to the more detailed analytics saying there's nothing better from for Sherratt out there. You're hoping, you're hoping and praying that him, him on a line with Ekblad or Uyghur or whatever they do unlocks something that makes Ben Sherrod a much better player than he's been throughout his career. So I, I want to ask you something and I, and I already sent it from the podcast account. So I guess you're going to have to wear it if, if you don't agree with it anyway, but my take was basically that if there's somebody in the hockey operations department that like went out of their way, banged the table to make the case for Ben Sherratt, 
he hits the ice in Florida and it turns out that we see the same guy that we see on those charts in Florida. You know, he's constantly on the ice for goals against, he's not driving play. He's just that, that player that's doing nothing that you see on those charts, their jobs in in real jeopardy at that point. Do you, do you disagree? I disagree only in the sense that even if we're right, the Panthers will survive. Ben Sherratt, is not going to cost the Panthers the Stanley Cup. If he is that bad, I have zero doubt that he'll be scratched and it'll be, uh, you know, Matt Kierstead, because, you know, I'm, I'm going to assume that Lucas Carlson is part of a Claude Giroux trade. It'll be Matt Kierstead, Chase Prisky. It'll be someone up in the lineup instead of Sherratt. Or Sherratt just gets buried on your third pair and plays seven, eight minutes a night while Uyghur, Ekblad, and Forsling are eating up you know, 25 minutes plus each. That's, that's where I, where, where I'm, I'm sitting right now that like, I don't think someone should lose their job over this if it goes wrong, but you know, if we're under the assumption that this was a hockey man move, like, you know, you implied in the tweet and it doesn't go as it doesn't go well, that just needs to be the death of hockey man decisions for the Panthers organization. Like you, you gotta have some sort of data that backs up your hockey man feels, or it's just not, you can't do it. Like there were be- there were better options out there at this deadline, you know, Hamfus Limholm, uh, March Giordano. I'm not going to mention Jacob Chikram because you know, the price on that is absurd and the Panthers aren't willing to pay it, but yeah, there were and- better options. Now I don't think they even could pay it if they wanted to, like unless they were going to give up Lundell and Knight, which they're not going to. No, no, no. This was their defense. Maybe, you know, they throw a fifth round pick out there for someone else just to be the number seven defenseman. But, you know, this was their big defensive move. Now it's do they seal the deal on Claude Giroux? But uh, I'm I'm struggling. I, I, I just think there were way better options out there for if you were willing to pay this much on your defenseman trade. It should Hampus Limholm should be a Florida Panther right now, not Ben Sherratt. Do you think that Anaheim said no to this package? Do you think that might have been what happened? I have no idea. I mean, mm-hmm. we don't know. We we haven't yeah. been told this by anyone in the organization. We're speculating. It, I would hope that you know if, if Monday comes around, one of two things needs to have happened. Hampus Lindholm signs an extension with the uh, with the with the, the Ducks. Ducks, which is unlikely, or he gets extend. He gets traded for you know a first, a second, and a and a B plus level prospect. Something that the Panthers just couldn't match. If it's a similar type of pr- return or even a slightly better return for Hampus Lindholm, uh, you're I'm taking a look at the front office and saying, you better be right on this one because someone who is much better eye test and much better analytically was also available at this deadline. Yeah. And that's basically my point. It's like you, you better be right. And the hockey man approach is clearly what's driving this because there's no analytics that would have said that this is going to work. So if it doesn't work, then the hockey man approach has got to be taken out the pasture. And, you know, we don't want to be the one saying like, it won't work. And we know that the hockey man approach is going to be taken out to pasture. Cause that's, we just don't like, we were wrong about Bennett. There's plenty of instances where analytics would have told you one thing's going to happen and it didn't happen. 
Now, that doesn't the majority of the times there's a reason that these numbers get used. There's a reason that these metrics are important to us. It's not like we're playing with ourselves. But at the same time, like they're not all knowing they're not deities. Yeah. For for every Sam Bennett that, you know, the hockey men on Twitter want to throw in our faces how we were loud wrong about, you know, they were, there wasn't that same energy when it was, you know, Carter Verhage, Anthony Duclair. Or when um, what Josh Seth Brown Jones, wasn't good, you know. Yeah, Josh Brown is wasn't good. Erica Branson wasn't good. Seth Seth Jones looks awful. His contract looks awful in Chicago. Darnell Nurse looks awful in Edmonton. Mm-hmm. Um, what what's his name who got traded from the Blackhawks to the Oilers? Duncan Keith. Like, come out of us with that same energy when you know the analytics are proven right. Michael Bunting in uh Toronto in. In Toronto, like those are analytics decision driven decisions or, you know, where the analytics people were saying this guy isn't good. Don't don't be the team that overpays. And they were right. So the analytics hits way more often than the hockey man hits. So we you know, we were humbled last year. We were humbled by Sam Bennett. We were humbled by Montour. So I think we're all trying to be a bit more measured. You and I, I mean, I'm not going to speak for Jacob, but his tweets clearly say, you know, he's trying to be a bit measured as well. But yeah, this is, I, I need to, I, I, like, I need Giroux announced at 10.05 the second the game ends tomorrow in Philadelphia for his <laughs> thousandth game. And like, and I need it to be like Denisenko, Lucas Carlson, and that's it. Cause there's no more first round pick. Yeah. The rumor was Denisenko Carlson in that 23 first. That 23 first is gone. If you trade the 24 first now, like, come on, holy shit. You just spent way too much on rentals. I said it from the beginning. I hate spending first round picks on a guy who's going to play 20 games in a a playoff run. I hate it. The fact that we just, like, I was warming myself up to it for Claude Giroux because he is a bona fide all-star, still caliber player. He's a 60-plus point first-line player who plays good defensively. I was getting on board with it. I could have been on board with it for Hampus Lindholm. I don't think he's ever made an all-star game, but he's always been that super dependable, you know, second pairing defenseman. I could have gotten on board for it, but for Ben fucking Sherratt, uh, it needs to work. Cause God yeah. damn, you just paid a lot of money. You paid a lot of assets and it's future assets. Remember you're dipping into what you can spend next year at the deadline Mm -hmm. this i mean if you're gonna go all in on a year this is the year because you have the cap space i mean maybe the maybe the thought process is okay go all in this year next year you know you can't really do much at the deadline because you don't have the cap space because of yandel and the the assets it's like all right we make the run with whatever the rosters we have and then you load up again in 23 24 but uh yeah i mean I just want to be on record as saying I would much rather have them have used this first round pick, Tyce Milanic, fourth round pick. Help, like go ahead and say the third round pick that they traded for Brandon Montour last year. I would have rather they used all of it last offseason to get rid of Yandel's contract. Look, we'll never know if that was even an option, but I think Arizona probably would have been receptive to that kind of offer to take on his contract. That's just speculation, though. I just want it out there because. You know, maybe I'm wrong about Ben Sherratt, but we're going to trust the stuff that told us that Carter Verhage was a diamond in the rough, that Anthony Duclair was due to break out in a new role in Florida. You know, Sam Reinhardt, future star, et cetera, et cetera. Like, 
And if we're wrong, so be it. That's why we don't have the steering wheel. And the people that have the steering wheel, they're about to show us how they drive. And, you know, if it, if it turns out they're going to take the car off the road, we're going to know that. Yeah, uh, I don't even know. I, I'm trying to, like I said, I'm trying to keep telling myself, you know, Joe Sackick wanted this guy. Um, Tulski and, and Waddell wanted this guy. The Panthers ended up getting him. But, yeah, I, this was the booby trap defenseman in free agency. And it's like, it, it's uh, let's make a deal. You, you're either getting a car or you're getting a whammy. And, uh, I mean, I don't know. Yeah, I'm still going to give him every chance hours. to prove us wrong. Because, you yeah. know, I mean, even if I wasn't going to, what options do I have? But, look, I'm fascinated to see if there's something that I've been missing. Because – Every single thing we've seen is pointed in one direction and the discourse has not wavered. And this is one of the organizations that has continuously made decisions based on those analytics. I mean, Carter Verhage, obviously we talk about him all right. the time, but like, you know, declare similar thing, um, Reinhardt, similar Reinhardt. thing. And there's plenty of other guys, but I mean, there's Bennett, there's Montour and there's Forsling and maybe, maybe Sherrod is like them. But uh, overall, I, I, I do want to make it kind of evident here that like my overall issue isn't really with the price. Like, yeah, I would have really preferred if we had held on to that first round pick. But overall, it's fine. Like I can live with the fact they traded it away. My problem is the opportunity cost. You, you can't use that first round pick on something else now. And they're most likely not going to go out and get a Lindholm or a Giordano when, you know, there's no guarantee there's going to be a defenseman like that next year. And there's no guarantee that, you know, Sherrod is going to be able to fill a hole in this lineup at all. And Vegas got to the final after they traded a first, a second, and a third for Tomas Tatar, and he didn't play in the playoffs. So that's totally something that can still happen. But at the same time, like, I bet they would undo that trade if they could. Yeah, I mean, considering they had basically just threw – they threw him away to Montreal as part of the uh, Pacioretty deal. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I think the safe prediction – is this the Panthers are going to go on a pretty solid cup run. How far they go is yet to be determined. And Ben Sherratt will more than likely be a passenger on the road who at best doesn't hurt you on the way on that cup run. And at worst you realize really quickly, damn, we fucked up and you know, you're you're seeing you're seeing Chase Prisky, your Matt Kierstead, or the other the Lynn Baum, uh, what's his name? The guy who's Terry Lindbaum. The Terry Lindbaum, who was better yesterday, but his first couple games were not great. Take his spot, but yeah, it's this wasn't the swing we wanted. This is the swing we got. Let's let's see where it goes. Yeah, on, on some level, I'm just fascinated to see how it plays out. And like like you said, we're not rooting for him to fail. And we have a totally open mind. We want to see what everybody saw on him. So hopefully we'll see it. Yeah. Right. The worst case scenario is next next off next deadline. We're just like, man, I wish we hadn't done the Sherratt deal, but whatever. Yeah, I, I don't think this is gonna take them from a cup winner to a first round exit. But anyway, no. let's get to the rest of the episode. Uh, we got Colby guy from Florida hockey now, and uh, although it's pre Sherratt, there's still some interesting tidbits. So uh, let's kick it to that.
been too long. It feels like it's taken forever for this trade season to get going, but uh, Colorado kicked it off by getting Josh Manson. And now the Panthers are clearing the decks for a big acquisition, trading forward Frank Vetrano and his $2.53 million cap hit for the rest of the season to the New York Rangers unretained for what is essentially their fourth round pick in this upcoming draft. It could potentially be the Winnipeg pick if Winnipeg goes on a great run and all of a sudden that pick is later in the fourth round but just think of it as the Rangers fourth round pick this season because the Rangers are going to make the playoffs the Jets aren't you know that's not locked in but that's basically what's going to happen so let's talk about the big news first uh let's get both your thoughts on the trade let's start with Colby the esteemed guest yeah so I mean, the move clears up $2.5 million in cap space, and obviously that's what the move was for as well as getting a roster spot so you can get guys back in the lineup when Lundell and Lomberg come back. But the big fish here is the fact they're getting cap space, and now they have around $5 million in cap space, and that opens up a move. And, I mean, I wouldn't be surprised after, after he plays this 1,000th game that Claude Giroux gets moved to the Panthers. Yeah, that's it's pretty obvious what's what's to come now. I mean, made look, is it possible that the target is someone other than Drew? Yes. I think all of us would be pretty surprised at this point, considering you know, Lucas Carlson hasn't played since he was rumored to be part of a potential package for Claude Giroux. Um, and you know, Claude Giroux's thousandth game with the Flyers is tonight. All sign and then you know, you had Friedman saying that. Giroud's preferred uh, trade destination is the Panthers because it's on the East Coast and it gives him a really good chance to win the Stanley Cup. And yeah, we're now at the point in Panthers lore where players want to be traded to the Panthers to chase a cup because who the fuck ever expected this back in the dark days of the early (laughs) uh, mid 2000s. Yep. But I mean, that's yeah, this was a trade that's meant to clear the deck exactly like Colby said. It opens up roster spots. It clears up some cap room. Uh, The Panthers still have a ways to go if they want to make enough room to make two acquisitions, which I think the three of us are in agreement that they need to do. So, you know, thanks for the memories, Frank. You were a really solid middle six winger for, you know, your entire time with the Panthers. The returns on the low side, a late fourth round pick isn't the best considering they got him for a third and he well outplayed that third round pick designation, but that's what the market is. It's a buyer's market and that's what you could get for Frank Vetrano. What a hell of a way to end his tenure as a Panther to highlight real, you know, slappers, a knuckle, a a knuckle puck one-timer, which you very rarely see. And then the OT one-timer, that's it. Thanks for thanks, best of Frank in uh, New York. Hopefully, we don't see you in a conference final matchup. Yeah, he definitely found a, a really strong way to sign off his time with the Panthers. You know, unless he comes back in the off season, which I can safely say is not going to happen. Uh, Ten goals and nine assists in forty nine games with the Panthers this year, which pretty much understates that Vitrano wasn't really fitting in, even when he was actually in the lineup with the Panthers this year, like. You know, forwards can make an impact even when they're not scoring oftentimes in this league, but Frank Vetrano is not one of those players. He's not a good defensive player. He's not a good play driver. He's a guy that his impact is very evident. It's the goals. It's the assists that come from his rebounds. 
It's the shots on goal that he generates that lead to good things all around. And that wasn't really happening for him this year, partially because the Panthers forward lineup is so, you know, stacked that he found it very difficult to get opportunities, especially with like Mason Marchman having such a good year, Sam Reinhardt fitting in so well, you know, Owen Tibbet is another guy that fell out of the lineup like Vetrano and we might see him moved soon. Sorry, Dylan, but um, yeah, Vetrano, like because he wasn't putting up points, like he really didn't fit into the lineup anymore, but just quickly to touch on the Ranger side of things, like their, their forward depth is horrible. They desperately needed some forward depth and they couldn't really get much cheaper uh, good forward depth than they got here in Vetrano. I mean, the late fourth round pick, they had a fourth round pick to spare. So they just punt it away and they get somebody that could score on their third line as Vetrano did for the Panthers last year, years before. So uh, smart move for them, I would say, but for the Panthers, it's really just about clearing the space and you didn't have to give up any assets to do it. Yeah. I mean, this, 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 remind, I mean, speaking of the Rangers, they had Dryden hunt getting first line minutes with our Temi Panarin shades of Seth Griffith with Barkov. Like they desperately needed forward help. And, you know, Fatrano's a, a 20, 20 goal, 35 point middle six winger. And, you know, third, you know, third line, uh, third man passenger on a, on a strong line. And there wasn't the opportunities for the Panthers. It's, it's, it's pretty simple, straightforward deal. And the Rangers seemingly have unlimited cap space at the deadline. They still have about like 30 something million or something around that number for deadline cap yeah, space. So yeah. the Rangers aren't done either. I wouldn't, I wouldn't think they're done. Yeah, I just wonder, because the Rangers, I think the best is yet to come for them. Shesterkin is going to get some experience. I do think that Kako and uh, Lafreniere, despite being, you know, not living up to their pedigree yet, they're showing signs that they're going to be players in this league that are, you know, somewhat impactful at the very least. So they're probably not thinking like, well, the time is now we got to strike where the iron is hot, unlike the Panthers, who are probably thinking exactly that. So that's why they're clearing the decks. They're looking for a big move the Rangers are probably just going to strengthen around the fringes. Whereas the Panthers, I think they might be going after Giroux. I, I, I don't think there's another forward. I like, you know, a, a few years ago, Vegas's expansion year when they struck out on, I think it was Eric Carlson. They went out and got Tomas Tatar. I don't think there's a backup forward out there for the Panthers. Like, maybe if you wanted to talk me into Ricard Raquel being a good fit, like I could listen to that, but I don't think that's the case. I think, it's Giroux or bust as t- in terms of forwards for them. And I, I think that they want to go out and they want to add Giroux and sort of like Pierre Lebrun alluded to, which I'll read his tweet in a second. They want to add both Giroux and the forward if they can afford to do that and getting this cap space. Yeah. Yeah. Forward and a defenseman. What did I say? I, I have no idea. Forward but, uh, and a forward. Oh my goodness. Giroux and a forward. <laughs> Giroux and a forward. forward Giroux. What if we could get both at the same time? That would be remarkable, huh? Yeah, just to be able to add uh, Claude Giroux and then like, my the guess of Claude Giroux? a like Calvin DeHaan type, I would guess. Or, I mean, this is something I've alluded to and something I've heard that they could get Justin Braun in the same trade and he could be a depth piece on the defense. I mean, that's an option. But if they go and get Giroux and then Giordano, which – with the cap space, I don't understand how they could do unless they like really get down with it and do something crazy. But um, I think the best bet they could possibly do is maybe a Giroux and like a Calvin DeHaan, Justin Braun type. 
So let me read the Pierre uh, LeBron tweet because I got it pulled up now. Panthers trade today cleared $2.5 million of cap space. I think Florida is still a possible landing spot for Claude Giroux, while I believe the Panthers still looking at top left-handed defenseman options such as Lindholm, Ben Sherratt, or Giordano. Bottom line, Panthers far from done. Anyway, the uh, the point there I think that might be worth noting is uh, Justin Braun's right-handed, so I'm not sure if they would be looking at him maybe, you know, just to get another depth defenseman in there. But, like, if they get a lefty, all of a sudden you have Montour and Gudis on the right, and probably one of them is going to be switching sides to play on the third pairing. I would guess Montour would be on the left. Or they would just, you know, go Lindbaum and, you know, Gudis and Montour would sit. But I, I don't know if they're necessarily going to go out and get two defensemen. My guess would be one of those three is going to be coming – and Claude Giroux will or will not be coming, but like one of those three is coming regardless, in my opinion. Yeah, like I think the fit there would be you get a guy playing, you can play him with Ekblad, and all of a sudden you go Forsling Uyghur on that second pair. And you can put, you. I think you can put Montour on the left side. He's shown that he can do it before. He's a versatile guy. And he was playing on the left at points when he's needed to. So, I don't think you necessarily need to sit Montour in this case either, but to have that Forsling Uyghur pairing back, which had a lot of success during the playoffs and during certain runs here and there, I think that would be a very good move as well. Yeah, I was just I was just listening to Jack Hahn, who a uh, former guest of the show. He uh, did another segment on the PDO cast, and uh, his thoughts on what the Panthers' weaknesses were were basically Montour and Gudis. And I know it sounds like if, if you say you put them on the same pairing, then you've got an all weakness pairing, but it's more so just in terms of like, if you're throwing them out against top four competition, Gudis takes too many penalties and Montour's not good enough defensively. That was what he, his point was. I'm not necessarily going to 100% co-sign it, but I, I think there's definitely something to what he's saying. So basically if you can push both those guys out the top four, which at this point would just be pushing Gudis out, but if you, if you make sure that you have a top four that's, you know, three-fourths of it are Ekblad, Uyghur, Forsling, who have been all world now for one and a half seasons, and then you bring in one of these other, you know, there's two studs and Ben Sherrod, who we don't need to go over our feelings on Ben Sherrod. I think we've already done that. But you're you're looking at a very good top four for the playoffs, and – a third pairing that's going to be very useful in spots as well. So I, I think that's the the logic behind going after a lefty. And like Colby said, they would be playing with Ekblad, so you could be putting Forsling back with Uyghur. That's already a proven commodity. That's already been successful in the past. And there you go. Like who's beating that team? I don't. I don't necessarily know. DJ, yeah. it's funny we kind of we kind of went over each other, and I was going to mention the exact same thing, Jack Han on the PDO podcast. Um, you you all need to listen. It's basically thirty minutes of nonstop Panther talk, which you never see on a national podcast. Like we're the only podcast that talks that much Panthers hockey, and you literally got two national people talking Panthers for thirty minutes. So highly just suggest people listening to it. But you're right. If you can make your third pairing. Montour Gudis and while it's not the best pairing considering you know Montour isn't great defensively and Gudis is 
nowhere near the player he was a few years ago, but he's still solid. But like, it's the playoffs. Your top two pairings are going to play 45 plus minutes a night. So you really can shelter them and give them shelter minutes, especially at home where you're putting up, putting them up against teams, third and fourth lines. And that's fine. Like, are you really too worried about Gudis and Montour on defense against, you know, the fourth line of, uh, of Washington in the, in, no. you know, in a first round series. Like, no, I'm not worried about getting against that. the first line, honestly, of Washington. Like wa- Washington is but, not particularly scary to me, in my opinion. But, but, but you get my point. What, yeah. Yeah. What fourth line in the Eastern conference, are you worried about Gudis and Montour against like, no, that's a solid third pairing. It's better than most third pairings you're going to see in the playoffs. Like honestly, what team would have a better third pairing than that? Not that they're some end all be all borderline all-stars, but, that's pretty solid for a third pairing. I mean, the Coyotes play Jacob Chikrin on the third pairing. That might be better. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's all sorts of weird red flags going on with Chikrin that just have me kind of backing away as like, as much as I'd like to happen and I think it would work out, the absurd price Arizona is asking for, the fact that his results have taken a nosedive this year, I mean, a lot of that's his, you know, his, the team around him is absolute trash, but they're not even playing him like a number one defenseman. So why should any team pay for a number pay the price of a number one defenseman when his current team doesn't use him like it doesn't it's like something's not right there. Yeah, I totally agree. There's something up there, especially with the whole like astronomical price that they supposedly wanted that included Lundell and Spencer Knight, like that trade. I I can tell you with full confidence that the the Panthers aren't moving either of those two. And it's already been pretty much set in stone that both of those guys are untouchable. Yeah, nor nor should they. I think that at this point, you're looking at a, a situation where you have not only this year to go after a cup, but if those guys develop the way they're currently trending to, you've got a team that can compete for a cup for a long time. And I know it doesn't necessarily feel that way because Barkov is about to be making $10 million. Huberto needs an extension. You know, the, the Bobrovsky cap hit is going to be hurting the team for a while, but you know, we've seen Bobrovsky play well for a long time. The aberrations were those two bad years and look, Lindell is going to be making ELC money for the next two seasons after this one. Knight's going to be making ELC money next year. And if Knight turns into the kind of goalie that he looks like he can be, like that's that honestly might be all you need. I mean, look at the Rangers this year with Shesterkin. They have basically nothing, and Shesterkin is dragging them to the playoffs. If Knight can be that kind of goalie, like look out with this kind of core, it's, it, it, yeah. it's going to be a good time. It's going to be good times. So, like, yeah, Knight's development looks really, really good over the last few weeks. I mean, the way he's played in each of his last three starts, he had, like, one or two kind of iffy goals. But once he got those out of the way, all those usually came near the beginning of the game. He was, he's was he been lights out. He's been making pretty, like, heads-up mature plays for a 20-year-old goaltender, too. Like, I remember that this doesn't really get remembered because the, the Kings scored after this, after they recovered the clear. But Spencer Knight poked the puck away from his own crease, being able to just have the awareness to do that. The awareness around his crease, the way he makes big saves. I think he 
really has come a long way, even from when he came back from the AHL. Spencer Knight, he started the season pretty poorly. His goals above expected was well in the negatives, and it's probably still negative considering how big of a hole he he dug. But he's gotten exponentially better as the season's gone on. Like Colby said, he's given up some stinkers. Like yesterday was a softy. I mean, ESPN, Boucher mentioned it on the broadcast that like the shot location causes problems because it's literally the hardest place for a goalie to reach that space between uh, the top of your pad and your blocker. Like that's just the hardest space to get to. However, that really wasn't that hard of a shot. And it was from enough distance. Knight should have been able to make that save. That's a really bad goal to give up, but you know, and he's, 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 done that a little bit over the past few weeks but outside of that he's making all of the other saves he should be making plus some that he shouldn't which is what you want from your goaltender and and you can forgive those softies when when he's not giving up a bunch of others and he's really only given up one or two a night total so yeah you live with the softies live with the growing pains but you really can't be upset with how Spencer Knight's progressed and yeah, there's just there's no reason to include him in a deal unless it's for some cost controlled superstar that, you know, makes, you know, gives you a dynasty potential. Yeah. And, and that kind of player we don't see on the market right now. Could they come up like maybe, you know, maybe Connor McDavid's on the market this summer. Who knows? I don't see it happening. So I'd say keep Spencer Knight and hopefully he turns into that Andre Vasilevsky, Igor Shosturkin. I mean, he's not going to go to Russia and become a Russian citizen, but you get the idea. He's going to be, he's hopefully going to become one of those kind of franchise goaltenders. And he had really two great starts in a row. Like you said, in both those games, the, he gave up a softy pretty early and it's a brutal softy, but you can't necessarily just hone in on the, on the brutal softies. And honestly, like, it's kind of encouraging that the mistakes when they're happening are so like obvious he'll be able to get those out of his game. And all of a sudden we're going to see this guy that's just like remarkably level-headed and consistent, just stop everything every night, you know, like two or three years down the line, which is not even necessarily when we expect a goaltender to peak, like it should be 25 to 30 or so that you get a goalie's best years, but I could see him being a franchise goalie 23, 24 already. Yeah. And like just talking to the guy and being around him, I know you've talked to him as well. Mm-hmm. Just Not as to, much as you, but you know, uh, the, the way he handles himself, the way he kind of shakes off bad games and gets on to the next one. That's a really mature aspect of the way he goes about things. And that's a long way for goaltenders because when goaltending, a lot of it is mental. On a lot of it, you got to stay aware. You got to make sure you're mentally sound down there. And it seems like Spencer has all the right things going for him. And I mean, to see him have a little bit of extended time in the NHL here with some with three starts in the last five games, I think that's really big for him. Yeah, three strong starts. Like I said, he took it L against LA. I mean, I don't want to relitigate that, but there's a whole. There's a whole bunch of reasons for that L before you get to Spencer. One, one, a, one a and one B is Huberto making a dumb, taking a dumb penalty and just absolutely abhorrent officiating in that game. But you know, Spencer's not costing you games. He's playing mm-hmm. well. There's, there's no reason to be anything but really happy with how he's played the second half of the season. 
Yeah, and uh, let's let's go ahead and pivot and start talking about the last few games. And the the two night starts, I think, are the things to be most happy about. Like you said, night was not nearly close to the top of the the list of reasons why they dropped the point against LA. It was kind of just like a weak performance. I mean, they, they did well enough to get the point. They could have won the game if it was perfectly officiated, you know, but, but overall LA did deserve to win. I felt based on the way the game went and especially considering it was the second night of a back-to-back for them and they were missing several regulars. I mean, they did have Kopitar. They did have Dowdy. They did have to know. They did have quick starting in net, but several of the depth guys weren't available. So they were filling in from Ontario and the AHL and it didn't really look like that. Like the Panthers can make any team look like an AHL team, but they didn't make the actual Kings AHL team look like an AHL team that night. So a little bit of a, a slow start to this road trip for them, but they did, you know, manage to get a win despite yet again, having kind of a, a lackluster performance last night. We're recording this on Wednesday, Tuesday night. It it took them a while to get into the game. Yes, they did dominate the third period, but it it felt like for a a large part of the game that they were not really up to it. And we, we are all experienced with the way Bob Bugner coaches. If it's a tight game in the third period, usually his team is getting shelled because he just wants to hold on for dear life to the, you know, regulation point and just take the game to overtime. So it wasn't necessarily surprising to see the the Panthers pile on the pressure in the third period. And in the first two periods, it did feel like Spencer Knight bailed them out and it could have been much worse, especially given how many penalties they took. Yeah, there are a lot of penalties. They went to the penalty kill a lot. It seemed like there was a lot of frustration, especially like that late first period, early second period. And it, it took a lot of big saves from Spencer to keep that game tied or keep the Panthers within a goal throughout that game. So I think a lot of the credit has to go to Spencer Knight there. And you had those two big goals from Vitrano. But overall, I think that's very a very Spencer Knight game for sure. Yeah, I mean, we, you t- we talk about the power plays. Uh, Sharks had five of them last night. Their XG at five on five was like, 0.61 and they're actually on the power play was like 2.1 and at the only power play goal they did get was essentially a five on three because um, Forsling had taken the shot off the side of his knee and was clearly unable to play any kind of defense so so the Sharks were able to capitalize on that five on three and get a goal so that's Spencer was just really good on the PK last night so uh, we got we got to talk about uh, TJ's boy James Reimer with that point nine five one save percentage on the PK this year, that is fucking insane. Wow, I didn't even realize because because he did yeah, have a good game last night. Last. It, like that that's such a James Reimer game in a nutshell because like he was he was peppered like he had to be facing shots all night. So I give him a lot of credit for, you know, standing strong, not giving up four or five goals at the same time, though, I felt like on the Huberto goal, what the heck is he doing so deep in his net? Like the pass is completely. Oh, that was off. all Huberto. Okay. No, that was all Huberto. Boucher went into it in depth. All of the head fakes that Huberto was doing, he gave, he was looking at, I think it was uh Lucerine and with him, right? Yeah, it was somebody. <laughs> 
He was he was looking at E2 almost the entire way. Then he shifted his his feet to the left, making it look like he was going to pass. And then he even gave a shoulder fake. And then basically at the last second, he picked his head up and picked a corner. That was a master class in deceptiveness from Huberto, followed up with an absolutely perfect snapshot slash wrist shot. I can't remember what it was. That was why Huberto deserves to be in the heart conversation. Not a favorite, but in the heart conversation because he's putting that kind of skill on display almost every night. He made James Reimer look awful and it made it look like a really bad goal when that was just nothing but elite play from an elite player in the NHL. Point well taken. But uh, Reimer did have a, a good game, I, w- I would say. He's had two good games against the Panthers and you know, his team just hasn't been able to hold on to a lead. You know, that, I guess that's what you get for playing on Bob Bugner's team. Yeah, exactly. Uh, like you, the Panthers outshot their had more chances, I think like 30 to three on them at one point. I don't know. Yeah, I think that, that was, was the, the shot attempts in the third period or something like that. Yeah, it was something yeah, it was like, like 35 to something. Yeah. Like I saw at one point they said there was 30, th- it was like 30 to three. That was what I saw during the game. Yeah. So, I think that was what the, uh, one of the sharks journalists, I think it was Shang Peng, which I, I may be mispronouncing, but they, they tweeted something at the third period shot attempts in this period, 30 to three. Shout out San Jose hockey. Now part of the network. Oh, there you go. Yeah. That, that That's the thing the Panthers can do is they can flip a switch and just absolutely dominate the puck, dominate possession, and dominate shots, shot attempts for long stretches of time. However, because they can do that late in games, we don't have an answer to the question of can they defend late in a game? TJ, what do you think? Uh, I think we've seen them do it many times, actually. So I, I don't know if that's necessarily something to worry about. I mean, it, look, I, I, I think that segment was all about just like, you know, it, it's so difficult to poke holes in the Panthers case for, for uh, being good. But because of what happened to the Lightning three years ago, I guess, everybody's trying to poke holes in a, in a team. And because, you know, the playoffs are just that random and something like that, as improbable as it was for the Blue Jackets to actually sweep the Lightning, it's possible. But I, I don't see that happening to this team because, you know, we've seen them play every kind of game and win it. So unless there's a meltdown in the playoffs by somebody like Barkov or Ekblad or Bobrovsky or if, you know, Brunette loses his mind, which is all possible, but you know, just because it's possible doesn't mean you have to take out any greater meaning of it, you know, happening. It, it's, this is all just rolling weighted dices or die. And if a 100 sided die comes up one, two times in a row, that doesn't actually mean that it's going to come up one every time. Yeah. And I mean, to answer your question and if they can defend the lead late in the game, the team is 30 and one after leading after the second period. I mean, that's, not a stat that you can kind of hold on to, then that's a good one. And they've won those one goal games after leading after the second period. They can clamp down and win those tough games when they could. We saw that happen when they were playing Carolina. We saw it when they were playing uh, Minnesota. They played those games. They played them pretty well. It honestly feels like talking heads and idiots on Twitter want the Panthers to basically be in the Sharks position last night and hold off for the win. But sorry, that's not the Panthers game. They do not turtle and try to eat 20 minutes a clock with a one-goal lead. They 
obviously will play not as wide open as they normally do, but they still attack. They still try to control possession of the puck. You cannot score on the Panthers if they have the puck in your zone with full possession for 12 minutes at a time. So it's why this argument keeps pissing me off because it's not, it's not an intelligent one whatsoever. The Panthers, you, like I said, you cannot score at the Panthers if they have the puck. So sorry that they don't get, they don't turtle for 20 straight minutes and let you take 40 shots on them in a period. That's not their game. That's not how they want to play. And that's not how they ever play because they are, are good enough to control the puck. Yeah, and that's Sorry, not, they're not going to be San Jose and Turtle. And that's not how good teams play. Like, I, I can't really remember any teams that, you know, they would score two goals in the first period and then they would win 2-1, and that's how they would get to the cup. Like, I, I don't remember any team that's ever done that. Like, every team going back to, you know, maybe like 2011 has elite offense all around the lineup, and that's how they get to the cup final. And I mean, Tampa Bay's got three of the best offensive players at forward, you know, one of the best offensive defensemen. It's not about just clamping down, playing tough defense. I mean, you know, you can, you can make a game tight, and then your elite offense becomes even more impactful, I guess. But, like... I don't understand why you would say that the Panthers are ill-equipped to play that kind of game. Like they've been winning all these low scoring games pretty frequently. The only way they don't win is if a goaltender is all of a sudden going 51 out of 52, like who's who's winning in that situation. It's exactly the reason why the Islanders lost in the Eastern conference finals twice in a row to the Tampa Bay lightning. Like sure. That defensive style of play, that gritty style of play will take you places. But eventually, if you can't put it all together and have a team that could control play and do all those other things, then you'll get beat by teams who can. And that's what Tampa had. They were a very deep team. They had a really good offense that could handle the puck and win those those really tough games offensively. But also, they have Andre Vasilevsky, who, God being one of the best goaltenders in the world, and then a pretty good defense in front of them. That's what it takes to win. You need to have all of that. And I mean, these people expecting the, the Panthers to be one of those trap teams who can do what the Islanders did. I mean, great. It took them to the Eastern conference finals, but they never really had that explosive offense or those play drivers that really helped them when it mattered most when they lost in game seven last year. I think that's where the difference lies. And I think Florida does have those play drivers and that's why you don't necessarily see them in those tough games where they're kind of sh- they're getting shelled in the third period, but holding on, but instead holding on to those leads. And I mean, that's where you get that really good off that record after um, two periods is Alex, you got something here. Uh, I'm just going to say to beat the Panthers in a seven game series, you need multiple of these things to happen. Your goalie needs to play lights out. Whoever's in net for the Panthers needs to shit the, shit the bed and or you need the Panthers offense to just completely disappear which is honestly probably the most rare the most unlikely of all of those situations but like you can't beat this team this Panthers team without multiple things going your way and against the Panthers that's just how good this team is yeah I could it happen sure but like that's that's how you end up with Tampa getting swept by Columbus a bunch of things go away. No one predicted them to. And, you know, smart people will just kind of say shit happens. It's hockey. And dumb people will be like, well, you got to change your whole roster and you need more grit. Yeah. And they didn't do that. And look at them now. They have 
two Stanley Cups. So that's where I think we're going to pretty much wrap this up. Uh, two games com- coming up this week. Uh, if you're listening on Thursday, game tonight in Vegas, and then Friday night against the Ducks in Anaheim, and then the trade deadline on Monday, and the Panthers will be off from Friday till Thursday, uh, where they go to Montreal to play the Canadiens. And I think a lot of shit is going to happen between that Friday game and that Thursday game. And we're going to have another podcast to do on Monday to talk about it. Don't, don't wrap yet, TJ. Let's, let's get our uh, trade deadline predictions. Not no, you know, 10 minute spiel, just names of who you think the Panthers acquire. And I guess I'll start us off. Hey, it's TJ in post here. Uh, Just letting you know, here comes some famous last words. I'm going to say this uh, deadline ends with Giroux and uh, Lindholm. I mean, that seems to be the way it's going. Like, you know, again, like I, I think I would go Giordano personally, but I think it's going to be Lindholm. And I, and I do think that they're they're going for Giroux. I'd say Giroux Dahan. Yeah, the, the acquisition cost for Giroux might make it prohibitive for them to go out and get Lindholm. And I think Dahan's not going to be expensive and they can plug him in on the third pairing or even the second pairing and probably it would be okay. I think my preference will be Kulak if it's not one of the top guys, but I wouldn't be against Tahan. Yeah, I feel the same way. All now right. we can wrap. <laughs> so that's going to do it for another episode of Panther Paris. But before we go, Colby, would you like to plug uh, your newest articles and just Florida hockey now in general? Yeah. So, uh, so I would appreciate everyone uh, subscribe to Florida hockey. Now you can go uh, subscribe for, Article from myself and uh, George Richards, who I'm sure you guys are very familiar with at this point. Uh, Uncle George, as you guys call him. But uh, yep. be sure to be on the lookout for some more content. We are churning out everything under the sun, Florida Panthers. So be sure to check that out. And uh, also check out whatever I do at the Palm Beach Post as well. I post there pretty often or like maybe once a week. So check out that. And uh, also I have a new business venture with Cameo. So just go to my <laughs> pin, go to my pin tweet and I'll say whatever you want for $5. All right. That's a good use of $5. Uh, a couple of Panther Paris uh, housekeeping notes. Um, we are giving away a subscription to Florida hockey. Now I'm just going to go ahead and say it. We're going to pick the winner to that uh, after the trade deadline closes. Uh, on deadline day maybe we'll do it like that night after we record so uh just make sure to retweet and follow panther Puri account and uh george richards on twitter i asked george what he wanted people to follow uh subscribe to the newsletter and uh check our twitter page we're about to, to uh, roll this out we're giving away a pair of tickets to the next panthers home game on march 29th against the montreal canadians courtesy of betway uh, thank you to Betway for helping us with that. Uh, you just check our Twitter to see how you can win those tickets. Anyway, uh, for Alex and Colby, I've been TJ. Thank you for listening to Panther Paris, and we'll see you again next time. This week on The Marketer's Report, Patrizio Spagnoletto, Global Chief Marketing Officer, Direct-to-Consumer for Warner Brothers Discovery, weighs in on building trust. 
trust is a really hard thing to build and a really easy thing to destroy. And we have to be very respectful about that. Our partnership with iHeart has really helped us build that trust and that relationship with the on-air talent. As the number one audio company, iHeart Media gives you access to all. Every audience, live conversations, trusted influencers, and the data you need to grow. Go to iHeartResults.com for more. 